You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning, church family. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan Elder. I serve as one of our pastors here at Redeemer, and I'm excited that you're with us. I want to, we're going to bring Robert up in a minute to preach for us, but I want to tell you a quick story. Um, December 2020, I was gone on a prayer retreat, and um, if you know much about the year 2020, it was a challenging one. Um, Challenging personally, challenging collectively, it was challenging leading a church through that year, 2020. And when I was on that prayer retreat, I just heard the Lord speak really clearly to me, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this. That's happened to me just a few times in my life. Normally, God speaks to me in subtle, soft ways by His Spirit through His Word, but I just felt God speak to me very clearly while I was on that prayer retreat and just said, Jordan, why don't you stop praying and seeking and desiring things to go back to the way that they used to be before the pandemic? Why don't you actually start seeking me and, and praying for me to do something new? Why don't you start to actually think, what am I purposing in the midst of this for your church family? And so that kind of led me to come back, and we began to pray as a church for a season of renewal, that God would renew us, that by his spirit, that he would do a fresh work in this church family and through this church family, that he would renew us spiritually, that he'd work in us corporately. And little did we know that we were going to enter into a year, 2020, where God was going to send us an abundance of leaders, and he did. He sent us an abundance of leaders, and 2020 became a year of really where we began to grow, and and so, and, and, and I guess for lack of better of analogy, as a church began to grow pregnant. <laughs> and, um, and we've been in this season of multiplication over the last 12 months. And one of those leaders that God sent to us was Robert Livingston. Robert um, had been a pastor in our larger network, the Acts 29 network in the Chicago area. And God, he felt God calling him and his family to relocate, to plant a church here in the Austin area. And Robert and I met maybe a little over a year ago. Would that be about right? We met, we met almost two years ago for the first time. We, we met here, and, um, and, and he just said, hey, uh, we're networking, meeting with pastors in the, in the area, trying to figure out where God might be leading us to plant in the Austin area. And, uh, and God has woven our stories together, and they've been a part of this church, and they've built a core team from within this church. And today, not only will Robert preach for us, Chris led worship for us, but today we will commission and we'll send out uh, Redeemer Georgetown. And, and what an exciting season that we're in, a bittersweet season, a season of multiplication, multiplying of our church. But man, I, it's so clear that God is out in front of us, and it's such a joy to be a part of it. So Robert, why don't you come on up? I want to pray for you, and then Robert will walk us through our passage today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we open ourselves up to you now, and we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would reveal to us who you are. Would you astonish us with your authority and with your power and with your presence? We thank you for your word. We thank you how it reveals to us the good news of Jesus Christ for sinners like us, sinners living in a broken world like us. And so would you be with Robert, fill him, Holy Spirit, empower him, Holy Spirit, speak through him now. We need your word and we're ready to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jordan. Well, thank you for that kind welcome and just the kind words. Um, This has been an an amazing thing for me and my family and for those who moved down here from Chicagoland. Like, we just did not expect the blessing that was going to come to us through this church body and We're so grateful for that. If you have a Bible or have one on your phone, join me in Mark chapter 1, where we will be looking at the passage that Jordan just read. And as you make your way there, I just want you to think about what comes to mind for you personally when you think about authority. 
When you hear that word authority, what comes to mind for you? It's very typical that in a group like this, somebody's immediately thinking of a police officer or someone's thinking of a coach. Someone's thinking of a parent that had authority over them and it wasn't a kindness in that authority. It was a dominance in that authority. We all have authority in our lives. We all live with authority. Some of us have authority that God has entrusted to us. But this word authority is a word that a lot of times evokes in us kind of a chafing thing where we're like, I'm not sure I like that word. I'm not sure how I feel about that word. I want you to know that in a culture and season like this, like Jordan just described for us, that has been a choppy and bumpy ride for all of us. It's the authority of Jesus that gives us rest and gives us comfort. We love his authority. We don't always love it in the moment that we recognize it, in the moment that we feel it, but we long for the loving, good authority of Jesus. And if you look at the Gospel of Mark, Mark launches in in chapter 1 to a couple of things that are foundational to the rest of the Gospel. The identity of Jesus and the authority of Jesus as it's played out in these various interactions. The identity coming straight from uh, John the Baptist when he identifies Jesus as the long-awaited prophesied Messiah. And then at the baptism, the Father and the Spirit affirm the identity of Jesus in that beautiful scene where he comes up out of the water. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the identity of Jesus. And then the devil in the wilderness would try to uh, attack him according to his identity, try to pull that down, right? And out of that identity, we find ourselves wrestling with now his authority, not just who he is, but what power does he have? And so to just give you a little bit of a roadmap as to where I want to take us today through these verses, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we will see his authority as a teacher of capital T, Truth, truth embodied in him, Pr truth proclaimed by him. We will see that in verses 21 and 22. Verses 23 through 28, we will see that his authority is tested immediately by the powers of darkness in the synagogue at Capernaum. And then in verse, verses 29 through 31, we'll see his authority displayed in his kindness and so as we look at this, I want to get to a so what pretty quick. I want you to know why this is here and what the wrestling match has been for me this, this week. The so what behind the authority of Jesus is that if we don't accurately see him, if we don't understand his authority, we'll start to claim some authority for ourselves and try to wrestle for it, fight with others for it, we want security, we want safety, we want to have control. We want that authority. And if we don't recognize it as coming from Jesus, we will be like exhausted orphans who are on a huge treadmill, always trying to secure for ourselves comfort, provision, protection. We'll sing the right songs, we'll, we'll say the right things, but our Practical reality will look like exhaustion in the face of not really believing in the authority 
of the Son of God as he lives in us, as he is sovereign over this world. And so let's look at the scripture together and walk through it slowly. Chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. And in contrast, it was not like the scribes. Now, I want you to know that Capernaum is uh, the home base of Jesus. This is where he has his uh, home base of his ministry from that point on. They have found this synagogue and ex uh, done extensive excavation on it. I've actually stood on the stones where this synagogue is, and I'm reminded even now, Chris is there with me, thinking I'm standing on the very stones where this played out in Capernaum. It's a beautiful place. And when you go to Galilee in Israel, you find that it is a very tranquil place compared to the rest of Israel. It's peaceful there. The synagogue system began in uh, the exile time in Babylon when they couldn't go, obviously, to the temple because that didn't exist. And so anywhere 10 Jewish men came together, they could start a synagogue, and it was a place of local worship, as a place of community life, and it was common to have rabbis that would come and they would speak. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue, and he begins to speak, and it says that they were absolutely astonished. They were, the, the, the Greek word is so strong that it's hard to translate into English. The idea that they were blown away by what they were hearing. When he began to speak, it wasn't like what they had been hearing previously. The rabbis of that day would have been uh, guys that could have turned a phrase quickly. They would have been acquainted with every previous prominent rabbi, and they could quote different points of view on little nuances of the law, and they would parrot back a hundred different things as they theatrically stroked their chin and confused everybody, left everybody in a fog of deliberation about the character and nature of God. And yet Jesus comes in, and as he begins to speak, he knocked them out of themselves as he began to speak. Why? What was the difference? Well, Mark's very clear. It was authority. As he spoke, he was speaking as someone who had authority, the kind of authority of one who has real-life experience, real practical power in the way he spoke. He wasn't just repeating things that he had studied. He was declaring truths that he himself had been a witness to or creator of. This uh, authority, this sense of power invested in him. When was the last time you heard a sermon and you found yourself saying, it's like he was speaking right to me? I heard that sermon and that thing that you said, that one particular part, it so deeply resonated inside my soul that I felt like you and I were talking just one-on-one. -on -one. You been there? You felt that? That's what was going on in Capernaum that day. Jesus is speaking as an owner who has first-hand first experience, eyewitness experience, and also power. Just this week, I was on a Zoom call to become the executor of my father's will. I thought it was just something, you know, it's in the will, you know, you wanted me to be the executor, so I just thought, well, that's what you do. No, you actually have to go to court, and in court, a judge 
asks a handful of questions and then uh, he raises up his gavel and he says, he said something like this, my condolences for your loss. I appoint you the executive of your father's will. Bang. <laughs> I thought, wow, that guy acts like he's in charge. You know, like he's not here to chitty chat with me. He's not here to be buddies with me. I was caught off guard by my attorney, who's a former elder, a good friend of mine in Sherman, when he was so attuned and so attentive and so respectful. We were just chatting. It was a, it was a Zoom hearing, right? So that was peculiar in and of itself. But my friend Craig got all serious when the judge walked in and he's, you know, very respectful. And I'm like, oh, this just got real. Now, if you've ever stood in front of a judge, you know that by the decision he makes and the way he waves that gavel, what he says has real impact in what's about to happen. And I want you to hear this. When Jesus speaks with authority over the sovereignty of your life and over the details of your life and the, the rise and fall of nations and the very details of the things that are hurting inside of you, he has real life authority. When he speaks, he's speaking as one who is in charge. It's not just a guy proclaiming ditties. Now, I want you to feel this because I want you to know that if you don't embrace the idea that when Jesus speaks, he speaks with the weight of eternity and eternal truth over the details and over the, the struggles that you and I face, both as individuals, as a congregation, and as a globe that's in crisis. And somehow that truth can't be just out there somewhere. It has to be a truth that comes home to us in the midst of wars and rumors of wars, in the midst of difficulties, when you find yourself struggling to look at the news because it amps you all up and you find yourself saying, I'm scared. I don't know what's coming next. The voice of truth speaks and says, I'm in control here. I'm at work here. I'm doing something you couldn't imagine here. And it's good and right to not just ask him, take this stuff away, I don't want this. But to say what Jordan said there, it's, Lord, do what your will is in the midst of this. It's not necessarily what I wanted or liked, but you have authority over all things. I remember my little girl, Hope. She's not little anymore. She was little bitty. <laughs> when she was two, maybe two years old, we're walking through the parking lot of Denton Bible Church, big church in Denton. Guy comes around the corner in a Ford excursion a diesel Ford excursion. And uh, my little bitty girl immediately, she was walking, holding my hand immediately with terrified eyes, looks up at me with terror in her eyes. And she goes, up, daddy, up, big truck, big truck, up, daddy, up. And as I picked her up, she glared at the guy driving the, ex the excursion like, my dad's got me. Hear me, friends. Hear me, Redeemer. There are times when the authority of God's word is somewhere out there, but it hadn't come home to you yet. And here's what we need. Up, Daddy, up. I'm scared. You know, that's partly when, I, when, when God really brought prayer home to me. I just instinctively, and I'd never been like this, I just, 
I, did, I was, was kind of raised spiritually in a place where we didn't do this. But when I prayed and I felt the fear of circumstance swelling over me and I felt weak and I felt small, this is how the most natural form of prayer came home to me. And it was the same thing crying out of my heart. I need to know that you're an authority here. That it's not some person in a Ford excursion over here, and it's not some crazy man attacking people, and it's not some random thing that's going to fly out at me. When Jesus speaks, what are they hearing? They're hearing the guy who was in charge. Now listen to this, because this is one of my great loves in Scripture, is Colossians chapter 1. He is, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, things you can see and things you can't see. All things were created by him, whether it's thrones or dominions, rulers or what? Authorities. And all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. It's a rare thing to find a, 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 a pastor within our network that claims the title senior pastor. We don't want that title. We have a senior pastor. We love his authority. He leads the church. We're under shepherds. We lead, but we're under shepherds, and we love that because this thing's too complex for me. All of it. And yet he is in authority. And it's an authority that is loving and kind. And it's an authority that can speak to you where you are in the midst of your fears. He's in an authority. And as he speaks, they hear it and they go, where are you used to hearing guys talk like this? Well, keep watching because that authority is about to be tested by the powers of darkness. And this is, this is good for us. Watch this. It says that as he, uh, he was teaching, it says, verse 23, uh, it says, Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And it literally says he shrieked out. What have you to do with us? Notice that plural tense. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And let's just pause for a moment and imagine you sitting there in that synagogue that day and two rows up from you after you're sitting there ashen, just listening to the voice of eternity speaking into your heart and suddenly this guy stands up and starts screeching. What are you doing here? It's a Hebrew idiom that he actually uses. It's the equivalent of saying, why are you here meddling in Capernaum? Jesus of Nazareth. So it's kind of like a snarky, mean way of saying, you're not even from here. You're from that podunk little town, Nazareth. Why are you meddling here? This is our synagogue. We've cultivated it. We have watched over it. We've made it so that no one even knows that the voice of truth has exited long ago. What are you doing here? Jesus of Nazareth. It's an attack. It's a, it's a collision, right? And then these words, have you come to destroy us? See, this demon knows that his doom is, is certain. He's got dread in his voice. 
Are you here because of Matthew 25, 41 that says that there is a lake of fire, this lake of fire that is prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Is that what you're doing here? It doesn't, he doesn't even say, are you here to attack us? Or are you here to fight with us? He says, are you here to destroy us? Christian friend, take joy in that. The thing that scares us most, the, the most frightening of enemies, this power of darkness. I mean, if they said, hey, there's a lion in the other room, I get a gun and a couple of guys with guns and we go fight the lion. They said, hey, there's a guy over there that's got 10 or 12 demons in him. Y'all have fun. I'm like, hey, I'm right behind you guys. Pray for you. I literally had uh, in Chicagoland, it was me and another elder. We had a, a woman from a church. I went and preached, and, and uh, after I was finished, she called, and she said, hey, we're without a pastor right now, and I am convinced I have a demon. Can you please come and help me? And my co-elder, Victor, I called him, and I said, hey, man, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon? <laughs> and we prayed, we fasted, and I noticed that Victor positioned himself between me and the door. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, dude. I'm going to get beat up and stripped here. What, I don't know, you know, but it was a frightening thing. We were dealing with a real collision there, right? That's, this is hard for some of us to embrace, the idea that Scripture really does teach that there is a hidden realm, that there is a spiritual realm that we can't see, but it's real. And there are forces of darkness behind the actions of darkness in this world. And that there are evil spirits that are uh, able to indwell people and enact terrible wickedness. But in this case, the question is, how long has that guy been a part of that congregation? Part of that fellowship? Did anybody on the greeting team notice this guy with the head cold? You know, like, I mean, how did we not see him? How did we not know he was there? How was he a part of this until Jesus shows up? And then he identifies himself as in opposition to the truth. You know, it's, it's a frightening thing. I'd be looking for the exit. Jesus is calm and cool as he addresses with the same kind of authority exactly what is what is true and what is clear and what is his authority to do. But before that, listen to what he says. Are you here to destroy us? He knows his, his doom is certain. He says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And how does he know that? Well, because one time in eternity past, he worshiped the Son of God in heaven with the other angels. And he rebelled. And he was brought low through that rebellion. It's not today that we do a full study of angelology. There's a guy named Michael Heisner. You can look at his book on demons. Or if you want to counter to that, read uh, Wayne Grudem's book on systematic theology. You'll get a pretty good look at both sides of an argument that is kind of dark and disturbing, but it's intriguing as well. I don't want you to overthink about this, but I don't want you to be naive about it as well. To be vigilant, to be aware that there are evil spirits at work in the world today is wise as a, of us as Christians. To freak out, to panic, and hide yourself in fear is unwise. Why? Because of what happens next. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. Now, why didn't Jesus just say, let the guy talk? I mean, he's saying what's true. Why not just let him? Why does Jesus always say, be silent, say no more? Because Jesus doesn't want this partnership. 
Later on, when the Pharisees will be attacking Jesus in his credibility, they're saying, you cast out demons by Satan himself, by Beelzebub. And he says, no, I have no partnership with evil spirits. I don't need their publication. I don't want this. I will not allow it. Why? Because he's in control. Absolutely. Even over the things that would frighten and terrify us, there is no stress in his voice as he calmly, coolly tells him, silence and come out. And that's exactly what happens. It says that he came out with him after convulsing him, crying out with a loud voice, he came out. And everybody there was amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. This is the thing that stands out. Is if, if you'd gone to that gathering that day, but your buddy didn't because they had a soccer tournament or something like that, and they just missed it, and then they said, hey, how'd it go? Synagogue today. What do you lead with? <laughs> You're not going to believe this. But it was the authority of Jesus. It wasn't necessarily the first thing that they launched onto was that there was a demonic man in their in the midst of them, it was, there was this man, Jesus, of such authority when he spoke that it felt like I was undone. You know, Isaiah, when he speaks of seeing the Lord in the temple, he says, woe is me, I am undone. He's actually saying, I feel my seams popping. That's what Isaiah said. When I stand in front of the Lord and his holiness, I feel like my seams are pop, pop, popping and I'm coming undone. That's what it feels like when you encounter the truth of God. If you had been there that day, the first thing you would thought is, this man Jesus spoke with such power, with such clarity. And then remember that guy that comes from north of wherever, the guy that's coming around every now and then, he just stood up and started shrieking, shrieking with a crazy voice. And Jesus was unfazed. I wanted to run and hide, but there was Jesus standing firm in front of me, commanding even evil spirits. Friends, this is important for us that we would not only hear these things, but that we would ask the Lord, reveal these things to me. Because I don't want to walk around afraid of things that go bump in the night or things that are around the globe that could be visiting me someday. I want to learn to trust in your authority over all things, that you alone are God, that you see me, that you know me, that you hem me in. You go in front of me, you go behind me. You have numbered my days. Such things are too wonderful for me. Let your attention be on the goodness, the kindness, the sovereignty, the sweetness of our Lord. Not on the terrible, scary things that we really can't control anyways. And let the Spirit of God speak truth into your fears and give you peace and give you calm. I find myself looking at this because all week long I wanted to do something. I just couldn't stand the sight of some of those images that I saw on the news, and I just want to do something. I want to fix something. I want to help something. And it's not that we can't, 
But to do that work of help when all you're doing is trembling and doubt is a whole lot different thing than to say to him, I trust in your sovereign good plan to be at work through the midst of global struggles or political strife or family strife. I'm trusting in you. And in that way, I will move forward taking uh, ideas and thoughts and convictions from you about how I can help, how I can move forward, what I could do. You see the difference God does not want us frightened and scrambling because we don't think anybody's in control. We don't see any way that he could be in control with this kind of darkness at work in the world. Listen, it's in that moment when you realize that you don't have control and you call out to him that you find that he is there and he is good and he is kind. But his power alone would be a frightening thing to me if I didn't see what came next. I mean, I, I want authority, <laughs> but sometimes authority, I want him to speak. I want him to talk to me. I want him to reveal his plan to me. But do you ever felt like, I kind of want to know if I'm going to agree with it first, right? I mean, God talked to me, yeah, but tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that you're going to do good and it's going to be my version of good and not your version of good. Like, I used to see God like a very determined, kind of somewhat angry physical therapist. Like, this is good for you, Robert. So yeah, twist that, bend that, move that. Like, God, stop helping me because this hurts. That's somehow what it feels like sometimes that somehow in the midst of this, I have this beautiful, sovereign, loving God who knows what is good, but it hurts. Uh, but I don't want you to miss this. What happens next is not only that his authority has been challenged and he has more than met the test, but that his authority is displayed in kindness. Listen to this. So, of course, his fame is spreading. Um, you have a showdown like that and his fame is, people are going to talk about that. Okay, but then it says immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, literally a burning fever. She was very sick. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand. Can you see the gentleness, the kindness of that? He took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left. And she began to serve. There's something I really love that happens in the book of Job in the last chapters. Chapter 38, in fact, I'm going to turn there. You're welcome to if you want, or you can just listen as I read these words. But it's, it's a concept that is beautiful about God. It's the bigness of God and the smallness of God. All right? Now follow me, because we just saw the bigness of our saving Lord in that showdown with the forces of darkness. Now we're going to see the smallness, the gentleness, the kindness of our Savior. But listen to how it unfolds in Job chapter 38, where he says to Job at the end of this suffering time, he said, where were you, verse 4, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements? Surely you know or stretched out the line upon it. On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang, when the angelic realms sang? Who shut in the sea with doors, 
when it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed its limits and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no further. Here shall be your proud waves be stayed. So look at the grandeur and the glory of God saying, hey, this was my work. This creating of the world, all of that was by my hands. And we know from Colossians 1, it's Jesus taking full credit for that. <laughs> and then he talks about creating in, in verse 31. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? He's talking about the stars and the planets. Can you do any of that? What's baffling is chapter 39 in verse 1 when he says, Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Time out, what, did you just go from like planets and stars to goats having childbirth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, the God who creates that knows about mountain goats overwatching when they are giving birth to their young. Now please, try to wrap this around. When we see Jesus confronting demonic forces, speaking with great authority, that could be almost overwhelming because it's so powerful. And yet when we see Jesus back in Mark chapter one, taking his sick woman by the hand and lift, raising her up, we're seeing not just the power of Christ, we're also seeing the gentle kindness of his authority. And we need both, don't we? Don't we? Don't you right now in your life need to know that it's not just about how he's going to save you and that's good and that's great, but that he somehow doesn't give a rip about the struggles you're having right now in a broken relationship? You're scared of what's going on with your job. Does he care? Does he know? Is he aware of the fear that you have about financial things that are going on in your life personally? or a struggle that one of your children has had, and you're lifting them up and you're wondering, I know you can control all this great stuff, but what about me? And what about now? And what about here? Do you see me? Do you know me? Do you care about the thing that I'm frightened of? Friends, he takes the woman by the hand and he raises her up and her fever goes away. I like that. I'm grateful for that. I want to know that his authority is not some out there thing that is wonderful and great. And, and I'm great that he can stand up and fight against the enemies I can't see and the ones that would have me uh, eaten for lunch and not plant this church. I'm grateful for all of that. But I also want to know that when I lift up the hurting part of my heart, he sees and hears and cares. And I want you to know that too. I want you to feel that. You know, one of the best verses in the Bible is uh, John 21, 12. Just mark that one. You know what it says? Jesus said to them, children, come and have breakfast. <laughs> I mean, come on, he made breakfast. <laughs> I like that. I mean, this is our loving, kind, good Savior. And there's something awful about fretting about singing what is true, about confessing what is true, and living like an exhausted orphan who doesn't believe that anybody cares about him. No one's there to protect. No one's there to provide. No one's there to fight that fight. No one's there to hear that I'm hurting and that I'm afraid. Listen, I feel like the Lord, 
I was reading to my kids from Genesis chapter 50 where Joseph's brothers, after their dad dies, they concoct a story and they say, hey, dad wrote a letter, you need to read it. Okay. Dad said, make sure not to kill them after I'm dead. <laughs> because they had so mistreated Joseph and all the brothers like, man, dad's gone, he's gonna get us. And it says that they just said, uh, dad said, make sure not to kill them when I'm gone. And, and it says that Joseph went and he broke down and cried. Why? Because they misunderstood the heart of the one who loved them. We, we face scary things sometimes. And you know what the thought can be? The accuser goes in and says, well, of course you do because you're a lousy Christian. Of course you do. You deserve this. You failed. You weren't as disciplined as you should be. You weren't as godly as you should be. You weren't as whatever as you should have been. And that's why you struggle. And that's why you're alone. And that's why I don't answer your prayers. And I feel like the Lord just says, ah, that's not who I am. The wrath of God fell on Jesus for our sins. And we have been forgiven. And we have been made whole. And he swung his gavel and said, justified. Now, justified is a legal word. It means you are righteous. You're forgiven. You are righteous. When you stand in front of him with your fear, with your doubt, with your uncertainties, you are free to be there and say to him, I'm scared, but I'm looking to you. His kindness is unmatched. His power is unmatched. And friends, he sees you. He is the God who sees. He is the God who hears. He is the God who knows. And how can we trust him? Well, because we're about to celebrate communion once again. You're going to hold in your hands the symbols of a broken body and the blood of Christ. That's what we have to look towards and say, you know, he gave his own son that I might be free. I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because of his authority. He has authority to speak with real life experience, with real life power over the details of our world and over the details of your life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and in the power of your spirit. We come with doubts, with fears, with hopes, with dreams, with disappointments, with uncertainties, sometimes we doubt that you love us. Or if you love us, we're scared you don't like us. God, forgive us that we've not trusted in your sovereign power, your authority. We've trusted in money. We've trusted in raw, gritty determination to see us through. We've trusted in people. And then we use those people. Oh, God, forgive us. Thank you for your son. He still speaks with authority today. He still speaks with absolute kindness. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his love. We thank you for his authority. We thank you for his kindness. I want to give you a moment. If there was a particular thing the Lord said to you this morning, I just want to give you a moment to, to talk to him about it. Just, just talk to him. Let that truth sink deep into your heart.
teach us. Teach us like you taught so many before. You are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. You forgive us and you declare us righteous because of Jesus alone. And because of him, we don't have to be afraid. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.